Welcome to Leprechi, your weekly destination to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry around the world last week. I'm Miriam and this is Mish. Hello. Uh, what we do is dig through hundreds of newspapers, articles, media, posts, so that you don't have to. We'll keep you updated on global events, what's up in academia and what softwares are currently changing the industry. Of course, we most certainly stick to facts and we'll link them. However, we do add our personal spin to the story because it is, after all, our podcast. All right, let's jump right in. So, Miriam, to this week we have another special week, I would say, since we have a special guest. Uh, his Yay. name is uh, Rusma Riga, uh, the man, as I would call him. Um, <laughs> Rusmir is a very experienced, uh, well, initially event manager who has gone through all the hell of being an event manager and someone who's worked his way up to basically managing a city, uh, specifically a city for Numa, a self-digital check-in hotel chain that me and uh, Miriam have also worked in. And from my personal experience, I can say Rusmir is one of the, the most stress-resistant <laughs> and uh, most experienced operation managers I have ever met personally. So, Rusmir, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Michael, and hello, Miriam. And thanks so much for the nice presentations and intro. And it's really, really great to be here at Liporty today. And really, thanks for your invitation. So, let's share some hospitality news then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. um, we're very happy to have you here since, uh, I mean, having a perspective of someone who's working in the industry, specifically in hotels at the moment, is definitely of value. So, Rusmir, what have you brought us this week? Tell us, uh, tell us your first piece of news that you think is worth mentioning. So, first thing I'd like to mention today is something that's somehow looking unrealistic, but it's true and it's happening. So, First Space Hotel is set to open in 2025. So, Space Hotel? Space Hotel, that's correct. And if idea of the Space Hotel sounds exciting, then we should all mark our calendars for 2025. Uh, originally, a company called Orbital Assembly is a company that uh, specializes in designing and constructing space stations, and they are planning to open luxury accommodations in the space by that time. What is interesting here, they will be opening first house called Pioneer Station, which could house at least 28 people, and the first house should be operational by 2025. Next development for 400 people would be a Voyager station that is set to open in 2027. What is very interesting here is that both stations will make some kind of use of artificial gravity, which makes very comfortable rooms, environments, and I would say bar experiences for the guests. So they will be no, you know, like floating in the air, rather having the gravity as the same as on the earth. Very interesting would be as well arrival experience. Uh, they will have the docking hub in the middle of the station, which will welcome all the ships coming from the earth and maybe from the moon or Mars, who knows. And that will serve as operations and control center. In general, their goals, 
that's coming from the company Orbital Assembly is to run a space business park, which would be home to offices and as well to tourists. Wow, that that sounds pretty sci-fi to me. Artificial gravity as well. <laughs> I was Mary just gonna say. I was like, "What? <laughs> wow. is, I don't. I don't even know what, how to. I mean, is this is this being built already? It's being in production. So potentially, Orbital Assembly is a company that is already producing. I would say a piece and the parts for development such international space station. So all of these are being built and then being transported into the space and team of very, very skillful engineers and I would say space builders and even those space doctors are working on that project because if you just imagine hospital in the space or if we imagine logis logistics in the space or let's imagine how you're going to heat your hotel in the space or how you're going to get sustainable source of the water and the rest of the things is really, really looking very sci-fi but it's true and potentially it's happening wow and what I mean, what would be the price of a night that's i always ask that question i realized in, in the last podcast i also wanted to know what <laughs> what the price is well potentially they didn't came up with the pricing so far but yeah let's be excited as they said that would be available to everyone and the pricing model wouldn't be so crazy high so ordinary people cannot afford. Another question then that it's coming is potentially flight costs, which would be potentially very high. And if you saw like uh, so far Robert Branson and Jeff Bezos and all of these guys kind of travel to the space. So I'm pretty sure that that transportation cost would be too high. But yeah, in general, they want to make that uh, as well as a, one collaborative space for all the astronauts who are coming to the space who would like to work and yeah that would be so nice as well co-working spaces in the space which is another topic so yeah. i mean you can you can also put a hostel in there right make sure you have used the space efficiently everybody has a little uh, section of a bunk bed or <laughs> i mean the most important thing is you said space doctors but obviously you will now need space revenue managers <laughs> Absolutely. And they will also probably undersell because you need to get those bookings, right? <laughs> so, wow. so, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... Sorry, I have a question. Ruzmir, you as an operations guy, specialist, would, you, would that be something that you're like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to manage that area? <laughs> Or like, well, yeah. I... I have to say I'll give it a shot. I mean, why not? If you can travel travel to space and become one of the first operations manager in space, that would be like crazy idea and I would be really excited about it. However, I believe that the queue is too long of the operations managers who would like to jump in the space as well. So <laughs> that's another point. And as well, a thing that you should consider due to remote setup management is really the question do you need operations manager on site or that could be as well managed from the earth including all of i would say guest experience centers or customer support centers or whatsoever i mean what's the funny here hospitality is struggling to find the stuff on the earth so how you're expecting to find the stuff in the space right That, would be, that I mean, would be another point. So I believe that that remote management setup will 
take a huge place in the big time in the projects that we are talking about. Hmm. I mean, I guess maybe they're just bored or like staff is being bored or overstressed on Earth. So they're like, no, I want something else than go to space. I kind of I kind of can see that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely less stress flying a rocket into space and uh, probably rotating around an axis of a spaceship at the speed of, uh, yeah, I mean, fairly quickly to, to generate artificial <laughs> gravity. <laughs> I mean, also the most exciting thing is uh, housekeeping companies, right? Linen companies. Would you like to list the linen? <laughs> Will the housekeeping also fly in on the shift? Or <laughs> and that's, that's crazy thing. And yeah, I mean, what we're talking now, there are so many things that are so unpredictable and that are not clear how to do. But I'm guessing that those guys have a very, very good plan and potentially, yeah, they will. It already managed to. It already sounds good because the company that is doing it, right, as you said, it isn't, I think there's a lot of different concepts. We will make a, you know, a space hotel, yet they've never even built even a building, right, <laughs> on planet Earth. And this is already a company that has experience. So um, pretty good. I say we move on, I guess, to the next piece of news. Miriam, what have you, what have you brought us this week? <clears throat> sure. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how to move from spaceships. Uh, to real estate funds. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> a piece of news that I saw today or uh, like this week in, in the Thomas Daily, which, by the way, is a really, really good real estate um, news, news source, um, is that real estate funds risk net outflow. Meaning, what does it mean, right? Real estate fund, um, people put money in and then the fund buys, let's say, for example, hotels and then who have invested will get their return. Um, but because what we have talked about before in the past, you know, increase, um, increase, blah, blah, blah. We have talked about it a lot um, of interest rates, sorry, increase of interest rates. Um, people stop investing or invest less in real estate funds. So when we look actually at the number, um, on, as of August, only 1.3 billion were invested in real estate funds, um, which is very little in comparison to 4.7 billion and 6.6 .6 billion euros in 2022 and 2021. So they're obviously because they have alternative where they can invest their, where can they, where they can invest their money for less risks, right? <clears throat> and almost the same return. Um, so experts actually expect that people will start taking their money out by 2024, meaning um, there's a potential that real estate funds will need to sell their assets, assets for um, losses and they might eventually have to close them, which I think it's just, we have been talking so much about, you know, what happens to the industry due to increased interest rates and so on and so on. And I think, Closing funds is just one that is going to come. We have seen companies going bankrupt and closing funds will be the next ones, I think. So, so there's going to be a yard sale for real estate properties. I mean, that is, a, that is a potential because real estate funds are required to have 5% liquidity, right? So... Um, <laughs> They need to sell assets in order to keep liquidity if people are not putting their cash in anymore. 
So yeah, at a market at a market that nobody wants to buy. So exactly. it's a great. That's a pretty. I mean, good, it's not like they don't want to. It's not like they don't want to buy. They just don't want to buy for the prices that the 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 real estate is on the market at the moment, right? Because of. Yeah. If, also, if the prices are cheap enough, they will buy. I mean, there's still many people that will buy, but. I think yeah. it's a great time to buy some nice beach house at St. Lucia Bay, right? <laughs> I think it's a great time. <laughs> I think it's great timing. Maybe I wait for another wait for another few months. It might get cheaper. <laughs> Rismi, we went to a very specific area. I guess you've been looking, huh? <laughs> oh, just just researching at the moment, but yeah. I mean, yeah, everybody's mind usually goes to St. Lucia's Bay first and then maybe after that uh, something more close by, but otherwise, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> but I definitely this is going to be, some, as far as I understand, this is going to be something new because during the 2008 crisis, the real estate funds didn't really um, get such, a, such, a, such an impact, right? The crisis was a, was a different type, so. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it kind of depends on how urgently that people who have invested in the funds will need their cash right i think if it's people who have who are backed very well and they can afford to wait um they will leave their money there and trust that um it will blow over but if they need to have their cash back quickly um yeah. and obviously this is a representation of the market as a whole right if, if exactly. people are taking money out of already i mean relatively safe investment funds right for real estate then they surely are maybe not doing that on a private level either right so um mm. well okay good <laughs> good news for, for real estate industry this week <laughs> in brackets Completely, yeah. um otherwise i think we can move on to the next piece of news go for it all right um this week I um, wanted to follow up on uh, Amsterdam, Air Amsterdam Airport. Uh, some of you might remember that we were looking into how Amsterdam, in general, the city, is now trying to decrease the amount of tourists. They were basically planning to decrease the amount of routes for flights. In fact, they did. And um, that is all kind of backfiring at the moment, in a way. Uh, the reason that's happening is because Amsterdam is completely overflown with, uh, with uh, international tourists and visitors. And... The local political party that is currently in power basically has promised uh, as part of the election campaign to, to to bring down the amount of tourists, right? That's a problem that is quite unique to some of the cities in the world, and Amsterdam is part of that. So this week, the news was announced that the fees for flights from the Amsterdam airport are going to go up, which is fair enough. It was going to go up anyways. Quite a few airports are doing that, but it is it's going to go up <clears throat> more than it was initially planned. So by 14.8% instead of 12. So the increase is not very high. However, the outcome of that is, is quite hilarious now. So first of all, the most impacted company by that is KLM. So the Dutch um, uh, airline company. Uh, and as a result, obviously, they're the ones who are protesting as well against it. They you know, obviously want to make sure that they have more flights. But on the other hand, there is, for example, a new company that was planning to connect uh, routes to, to Amsterdam, JetBlue from the United States. And they are calling for a boycott of KLM services in New York as a way of protesting, you know, the Dutch airlines. And also is trying to involve the U.S. Department of Transportation <laughs> and basically calling the whole measure of decreasing the amount of routes as illegal. <laughs> so basically, this might become a little international political crisis or, you know, conflict in, in some way where <laughs> um, Amsterdam <clears throat> is going to be, you know, perhaps forced into increasing the flight routes. 
I doubt it. However, you know, that's going to be a discussion uh, uh, coming up soon. Now, obviously, how this actually is impacting the airlines is um, it's pretty simple, right? They have to bring in less uh, less flights. Nonetheless, several of them, you know, the ones that are not really involving the U.S. Department of Service, but rather just trying to make money, have basically just changed the planes. So they're still allowed to fly uh, a different plane, right? It's not. It's just a fact of how many planes. And they're basically bringing in planes that have higher capacity. So this way, they're kind of trying to offset <laughs> the decrease in routes by just bringing planes that have bigger, bigger, a higher amount of seats. So um, it's a pretty interesting... Um, Probably unique problem where on one side you have the the, the decrease in the, in routes, the increase in f- flight fees, and then some airlines are just being creative and basically bringing in bigger planes. Um, so yeah, that's that's. Uh, what do you guys think? I'm kind of wondering how like New York would want to how like New York want, would want to impact Amsterdam in their like local regulation. I mean. How? It, it, they won't. I think it's just a political. It's just, just basically a political statement as well, right? Um, to some way. It's just that to me. I just I just feel so absurd. Like so, I want to fly more planes to Amsterdam. So you change the regulations because I want to fly my planes there. <laughs> what? I guess welcome to international politics. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, I think it's. I, I. I. think that's something completely different than questioning. Yeah, whether it's good for the economy or, and so on. But we've talked about that in the past. I. Yeah, I find it quite funny. But. Um, well, I'd say yeah. I watched. I watched one one interesting documentary uh, produced by Al Jazeera a few years ago. And it's called Tourists, Please Go Home. And it's talking just about Amsterdam, Dubrovnik in Croatia, and then Barcelona in Spain. Where even though they're overachieving their revenue plans and they're overachieving like their hospitality revenue plans and city plans, etc. So they literally cannot move because of the huge number of the tourists. And now, even though from those times, it was a very interesting question, how we would like to proceed, because everyone wants to come to our cities, everyone to see amenities, to stay here, to, you know, like, get a coffee, local food, get some nice local experiences, and to visit all these quirky places. But the fact is, how the countries and the cities and the citizens living in those cities can cope with all those, I would say, levels of the tourism Etc. So maybe that would be one as well of the backgrounds for making those kind of decisions and thinking of how to how to proactively deal with those kind of things. But Michael, what would be in general? This could be one of the reasons. What could be the rest of the reasons why they are doing this step? Uh, I mean, yeah, in, in, in a nutshell, it just I mean, the, all of this is being caused by just people, locals being annoyed. Right, as you said, by, by the, the amount of tourists, and their solution is just bring down flight routes. Right, so they, in in num- exact numbers, they have about five hundred thousand that they initially had last year allowed, and this year it's four hundred forty thousand flights that are allowed. So they've cut down sixty thousand flights. Um, wow! Right, that's a pretty pretty hefty number. Um, I think that's the the number exactly. Uh, fact checked us. <laughs> Welcome to fact checkers by going to the links we provide. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it's um, 
I mean, to me, anything yeah. that involves decreasing and, fun, you know, like bringing down the number or creating a funnel or something isn't necessarily going to be positive because it might tip the other way where several f flight companies might just abandon Amsterdam altogether because it's they don't know what's going to happen in the future, right? They have plenty of other cities. And then theoretically, right, obviously this isn't a fact, right? But theoretically then this is going to go down a, a funnel or a vicious cycle where the amount of tourists is actually going to decrease and several people are going to lose their jobs. So it's also going to close and so on and so forth. So yeah. it's all nice and funny to say, oh, let's please decrease that when you have record amount of tourists. But then when you have nobody, let's see how they will be discussing that again. Uh, obviously a speculation, but... I think I think Amsterdam is going to vote for space hotels so they can like reroute certain people to space instead of Amsterdam. It's going to be uh, if you if you, the hotel in Amsterdam is overbooked. Sorry, we we uh, we, <laughs> we, we upgraded you. <laughs> we upgraded you to a to a rocket in space. Thank you very much. <laughs> Please get in inside this cubicle here. <laughs> All right, be a creative one. This could as well open some other topics like getting some on-water hotels in the ports and etc. And still, I mean, train hubs would be open to travel. So at least we can travel to Amsterdam and then, I mean, I'm sorry, United States, find some space route and yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you can take a boat to Amsterdam if you want from New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like in the old good times, so that could be an option as well. Exactly. We we last week we were talking about cruises, so there you go. It'll be a partnership. Um, all right. On this note, I think we can move on to the next piece of news yet again. Rusmir, uh, it's your turn. Something exciting is happening in the oceans, and I'd like to bring the news about Italian company W Sense, which uh, apparently raised nine million for the internet under the water project. So. Just for records, Vsense is an Italian IoT startup and they developed underwater Wi-Fi for critical infrastructure monitoring and environmental protection. So those 9 millions will eventually boost their international uh, expansion. And what's interesting here, so when we are talking, this is the first time that we have internet and Wi-Fi possibility under the water. So in the first row, it will be used for environmental monitoring, aquaculture, critical marine infrastructure, and then tourism and cultural heritage will as well allow expansion of underwater AI. So think of AI-led scuba diving tours, which would be completely another level of underwater experience. And what is now great news for the hotels and for the platform economy. So platform economy will go hand in hand with the underwater Wi-Fi. That means that hotels will be providing a specter of additional experiences, activities and possibilities, which will be obviously outsourced, easy to book and pay, and with some kind of cool tech and IE adjustments and integrations. So as being said, your boat trip, scuba diving or swimming with dolphins activity will be one click away in the water will be led by potentially AI assistant and hotels will be able here to make a decent revenue on the commissions for the booked services. So pretty cool news. 
which means yeah, the sharks can now use the WhatsApp and communicate. Hey, what's up? You coming today or not? And yes, and the best thing uh, that kind of Wi-Fi wouldn't affect in any way underwater world, marine culture, etc., etc. Well, I mean, Rusmi, yeah, Rusmi, you found the coolest, <laughs> coolest things that I've never heard about. I'm yeah, like. That's... I will need to yeah. think of that somehow. Well, the ice future is happening now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's uh, fair enough. But I mean, just the, I mean, from first of all, in the space concept, and now the scuba diving AI <laughs> concept, I guess that maybe brings a more operational complexity to the whole thing <laughs> slightly. What would you say? Because <laughs> I mean, we were talk I remember having discussions with you about having a room you know, of housekeeping storage in the wrong floor. So this is a whole other level. <clears throat> Honestly, like I don't even know yet how how would that. Can we go more into how the experience would actually look like? Because I'm still kind of missing. Okay, I understood there is Wi-Fi underwater. Um, you can have an AI experience while scuba diving. Meaning, like, do you follow like a? You have it like a, you have something on your arm that shows you which route you should take for scuba diving, and then you can scan a fish and it tells you which fish it is. Or, like, is that? I guess I guess the sky's the limit of how we can come up with potential underwater AI experiences. That would be completely another level, Miriam, I would say. But for the beginning, for me, it would be, I would say, great achievement if you can under the water kind of airplugs where you can literally listen to the stories about underwater world and be connected to the Wi-Fi. So just the explanations, what are you seeing? Because what's as well interesting about scuba diving, I mean, you're just the seeing. So yeah, you can feel, you can see, but you literally can't hear nothing. So that would be just having, you know, like when you jump on, on those like uh, hop tour on buses. top of buses. Yeah, tour buses. So imagine that experience like underwater and then on your left side is great blue shark. Stay away. <laughs> you know, like and those kind of things. I think that would be very, very interesting just as a first step not to say in which direction this whole project can go and what can happen but yeah that would be i would say maybe just one of the first steps that could be implemented and which will completely reshape the whole underwater and scuba diving thing and could be just one of them yeah i mean the most important thing here is right is because you have the wi-fi you don't need to have some software already pre-installed anywhere right most of things out here mm. most of the you know any tools you have right now are kind of web-driven. So the fact that you have Wi-Fi, you could go down and you can just connect to it, right? Like you said, you can probably use Google and Google's uh, scanning picture just by clicking something, right? Because Wi-Fi works, it will tell you something. Otherwise, you would have to have some software that is already pre-installed and has some sort of archive of all different forms of uh, um, sea life and so on and so forth, right? which, is, which, is more, which is more complicated, probably. Uh, so... You have the power wow. of the internet under the sea. That's that's underwater. The, exactly. Underwater, like we're not already like we don't already have it. And that kind of ask. I want to ask you guys, what do you think? Because sometimes I feel we're already so addicted to having internet and our phones and all the information right at our fingertips. I'm pretty sure people were going scuba diving just to not have that. <laughs> So well, it's now like it's we, now coming back to them. So there is no escape. <laughs> holy, I think. 
Yeah, we were just having a discussion a while ago that we will want to get the, you know, the, the house phone where people could just call your house phone. We want to get that back so we can turn off our phone over the weekend. <laughs> so I don't know. I believe sooner or later we're going to have a wave like that as well. It's going to decrease accessibility. I don't know. There's going to be a That's protest. Just... There's going to be people addicted and under the sea, scuba divers, just checking their Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, imagine, but imagine posting a short while you're having a scuba diving experience. Or getting oh into God. the live. That would be another topic, yeah. Uh, I, okay. I'm live from... Exactly. That's going to be the... Yeah, exactly. I mean, next step is doing a podcast under the sea, yeah, live, live stream. Exactly. Okay, Miriam, on that note, do you have anything yeah. exciting for us? <laughs> I, I mean, feel like I'm, I'm like... Uh, Rosemary always has these cool, cool topics, and I come back to like boom, real life, um, <laughs> or current life. Let's say current life. I think that will be real life very soon. Um, yeah, but I have found an article which kind of it moved me in many different way, and I think it's a very interesting topic because um, uh, Los Angeles, the city council, has reached a political compromise with the hotel workers' union to drop a controversial ballot measure requiring hotels to temporarily house homeless individuals. So, um, the union has reached the possibility that the city of LA would have to vote whether hotels were required to host homeless people in their hotel if their occupancy um, was not high enough. Um, of course, that sparked a big discussion about hotel owners, about people that work in hotels, um, you know, whether hotels can be forced to host homeless people. Um, they just have reached an agreement that, um, you know, the city is not going to vote on it, but the city needs to check hotel projects more thoroughly, whether actually they're allowed to build another hotel in the city or not. Um, when they're, for example, changing housing into hotels that they will need to build another housing property or like another like housing project in the area. So actually, um, I thought it was very interesting that the Hotel Workers Union has supported the idea or the like the, the initiative to force hotel to host homeless people in the hotel. And with that move, they have reached the outcome of more housing, more affordable housing. And that, that's kind of like, that's kind of like what happened. And that's not even the discussion of whether you, like, so now my question is, first of all, what do you guys think? Do you think hotels should be forced to host homeless people? Yes or no? Just as a general ethical question. I would say yes. Why? As long as they get paid by the city, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. And I can expect uh, potentially jump in here and say uh, something from my previous experiences. So uh, one change uh, that I worked before way back in Ireland and UK, it had one hotel 
that was potentially working only with the city council and was doing the housing for those kind of the categories of the people, like the homeless ones who cannot afford accommodation, etc. So that was co-founded and that was like founded by the city of London. And it worked well, very, very well in terms of everything. And even though in Corona, in Corona times, we were able to make some decent revenue because not one, then it become like two or three houses extra, which will on 100% occupancy levels, which in Corona time, I mean, it was quite, quite crazy and quite good revenue and some nice occupancy share as well. And I would say that was just one of the examples that happened years and years ago way back to my times when I worked in Ireland and UK. A second interesting thing is, let's say, in Ireland, when you're building, it doesn't matter if that's like a residential building or whatsoever, you have always to get some 10% of the flats for the homeless people or for the people who cannot afford standard or normal housing. So that's as well another point that is being as well I would say co-financed by the government of Ireland and those kind of things are, yeah, I would say very sustainable. And on the other way, when hotels are hosting, I would say their residents, it's kind of another level of sustainability that everyone is trying to achieve. So not only sustainability in the way what kind of uh, water or what kind of energy we are using for our hotels, but that another way of sustainability of hosting homeless people in your units, of using, I would say, local artists to paint your hotel and those kind of things. So we offer forget about those kinds of sustainabilities as well, which I find very important and very cool in those two examples that I, I was just talking about. But I would say, Rismir, but I don't think those hotels were forced, right, to to store um, homeless people in a way, right? The the 10% thing, right, that's just a construction law, but the hotel that you said was hosted, I don't think they were forced, right? It was a mutual kind of win-win partnership between city and hotel, probably. Yeah, that's true. That's why I'm saying, like, government support here would be absolutely important. Mm. I mean, right, like I I remember seeing a, a post of a friend of mine that um, supports um, locals here in Berlin that are, they're like teenagers, he helps them to find, homeless teenagers, he helps them to find housing in Berlin. And he kind of pointed out, you know, he's like, there are empty hotel rooms and other people have to sleep on the street. That is just completely absurd. Um, when you look from the financial or hotel owner's perspective um it always it can impact right the the the, i don't know how often you have to renovate the hotels things like that can really really be impacted in in that sense um i mean there has been big pushback for that but i i fully agree i think it's absolutely absurd to have empty hotel rooms when when other people have to to sleep on on the street so i think the initiative um for the fact that they struck a deal in la to to increase affordable housing and 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 things like that is a good is a good approach i just thought it was a very yeah i don't know somehow it struck me uh the the piece of news 
quickly looked up the reasons for and just some numbers for homeless people. Apparently, 50% of homeless population in the United States is in California. 50%, which is 170,000 people. So uh, that's a that's a pretty hefty number. Um, there is apparently a study that uh, surveyed 3,200 of them, uh, basically trying to find out why they are homeless and so on and so forth. And uh, the main reason is um, basically increase in unemployment and increase in rent. So uh, probably to me that sounds like falling out of a safety net. The government doesn't really support you, right? In, in, in Germany, I'm, I would imagine there's probably a bit more support if you are unemployed, right? And um, mm. there's quite a few uh, social programs. So that's why most of these people, and by the way, um, the study dismisses the myth that most of the homeless people in California are not from California. 90% of them are from California, so the sur- from the surveyed group, right? So um, these people are indeed from California, and they basically just fell out of the you know social security net somehow, and uh, are thus unemployed. Oh, sorry, <laughs> thus homeless, homeless, right? So, mm-hmm. and right, I think there's also a pretty big move- movement in America where people just live in their cars, right? They kind of pretend they're not homeless yet they are just living out of your car and it's not a rv right recreational vehicle or something just a regular car so but still i i wouldn't i wouldn't agree that you would force hotels to do that there's plenty of programs i mean right when the refugees um, crisis was happening both during the syrian period and now during the ukrainian period quite a lot of hotels jumped on the idea of the government pays your room uh, and the refugee can stay in the hotel room, right? That, that I think there's thousands and thousands and thousands of rooms being rented out like this. You just have to have create a l- reliable program offered by the city and find a few partners. I'm sure there's several hotels who would always want to jump on that, right? Yes, not only hotels. Yeah, then... I would just quickly jump in to say that not only hotels, hostels can be very, very valuable source here as well. And it was all the time very much inspired by the first capsule hotels that I think they did. They started to be happening in Japan, where you have those small but nice capsule where you can sleep. You have a small TV, you have a nice bed, and that's it. Could be as well kind of source how the cities can fight those kind of the issues or the challenges. Or just a great example. So in the city of Augsburg. They have in the city center, there's like four, five hundred years old social housing project. It's called Fugerai. And there, like the people with a kind of low payslip can afford housing ridiculously cheap. So I'm going to say 50 euros or maybe 100 euros per month. I really don't have the right numbers, but this is just my assumption, what I heard. And as well, that area is being used as a very, very, like, as a tourist attraction. So people are coming there to see that complex, uh, to buy a coffee, to buy things. And that's how they are potentially making extra money for their projects or activities. So such a great example of fighting those kind of things on the city level. Miriam, you were you were saying something? Honestly, okay. yeah, I think it just it's. I mean, I think this is a bigger. I think there's so many aspects that need to be considered, right? Investment um, in the city, right? If you start making restrictions to investors, then they're not going to come to the city. Meaning, money flowing out of the city if you restrict them. I think it just is such a difficult, a difficult topic to have. But yeah, I. I 
fact that so many people are living on the streets and hotels are are empty and because they're just they have become such um strong financial as or like investment vehicles um yeah i just think it increases the 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 difference between the very rich and the the very poor it makes the yeah but i mean stronger. if you look at this if you look at the numbers here right it sounds like there is a whole other root cause to this right yeah. i don't think the people who build yeah. hotels are somehow at fault here right and yeah, generally no, just finding no, no, someone yeah. right so it's um especially because right out of all the states in america right it's not like california is average california is clearly standing out here by mm. claiming 50% of all the i mean i'm sure this is very much an estimate right it's hard to find people who are homeless because precisely they're not registered right well mm, at least mm. maybe most of them aren't um so well we'll see i mean at least it's a step forward right um yeah I'm sure we can maybe yeah. look into some different programs that exist already. That look, you, the, the world is your oyster. There's probably quite a lot of yeah. successful programs fighting this. Perhaps not in California, but in other places in the world. So, mm. on that note, uh, <laughs> great. Moving on to the next piece of news, huh, Miriam? One <laughs> more piece of news, guys. One more piece of news. Who wants to I go? Mean, okay, after the. <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> the this flying hotels and uh, Wi-Fi underground and saving homeless population is hard to to up that. Um, Rusmi, would you like to go or should I? <laughs> no, you can go. I'm I'm keeping an eye to close off these interesting conversation today. So okay, be no, excited. No. I'll, I'll I'll keep I'll keep mine short. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> this is a bit, uh, well, not as personal to me as a uh, homeless uh, situation to <laughs> Miriam, but uh, it's the, about nine trains in Europe, right? Um, if if you guys have traveled the world, you might know that almost every country in the world has a pretty good night train network, right? You can always get from place A to place B if there is trains at all, right? I'm, I'm you know, not, not exaggerating here, but uh, basically night trains... I'd say in India, in Asia, they're quite prevalent and a pretty good way to, tran- to transport, especially for people who don't have maybe perhaps too much money uh, while they're traveling on their budget. Um, well, in Europe, it's always kind of been a problem. And in fact, it has been decreasing for a while, mostly due to the fact, according to the article, that uh, basically low-cost airlines like EasyJet basically be- make it absolutely useless for people to take night trains because it's just so dirt cheap to fly in from any place in Europe. Now, this isn't really anymore the case due to the increase in, you know, a variety of different costs, including uh, petrol or, you know, oil at its core. Uh, but apparently night trains are, in a way, coming back. So there is quite a lot of investment across the board uh, from governments in, uh, together with, their, you know, their, um, the local train, na- tra- train networks. For those who don't know, in Europe, almost every country has their own little train company that is basically half-owned or entirely owned by the government. And um, basically, they are building up a quite an extensive night train network, again, precisely because there is an opportunity again and demand is increasing. Um, so over, for example, the Austrian uh, night train uh, train company, OBB, is basically invested in 33 new night trains, right? So that, that's a pretty good number. Um and there was also startups who are doing that. So startups who are buying up trains, refurbishing them, and trying to basically buy up uh, different 
routes. So there's the same concept of flights. There's routes you can buy where you can offer night train options. Now, this is still unfortunately being uh, pretty problematic. First of all, for the startups, apparently there's been a lot of complaints about how um, sorry, bureaucratic the whole process is and very slow and extremely complicated to get, to buy a route, to basically be allowed to participate in this technically public network of train companies. So that's why it's hard for private companies who are jumping in to do that. And as well, uh, quite a few countries, for example, Norway basically has abandoned a night train uh, project between Copenhagen and Oslo, precisely because they, after the calculating, they said they would still have to subsidize the whole night train network uh, annually by investing 4 million euros to just make sure that people will buy the, t- the tickets at the right price because people are still expecting to have a night train ticket at a certain reasonable ADR <laughs> rate, mm-hmm. right? And um, apparently, the, you know, uh, it's for Norway, it's going to be very difficult to make it uh, actually profitable. That's why they said we're not going to do it because why should we subsidize a, a night train connection that is not going to be, you know, at least making any money or what's the point of having that right when you have all the other forms of transportation so um it's quite an interesting problem i think a lot of third world countries do not have that because of you know pretty low labor costs and um, generally the train networks in several countries for example in china almost brand new while europe has train networks that are 150 years old partially right so a lot of maintenance costs therefore a lot of costs for train companies as well so night trains in europe are back but really not really <laughs> thoughts anyone? i mean yeah i mean i think it, they're also coming back because it's a sustainable option right and i think there are lots of sustainable movements in terms of transportation and i again we're coming back to the discussion whether people will pay more for traveling if it's sustainable um the fact that people are investing or like startups are are doing that i do believe that they see a future in that and um super happy to hear those news i think that it's about time that night trains are coming back i love them we always had that when we were a kid i can't wait to have the night trains back yeah, exactly it's, uh, to me it always was a very good way of transportation right if you don't mm. want to drive yet you don't want to maybe fly um uh, maybe some people have also you know fear of flying or rather would take a train um so and it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's fully sustainable, right? As you said, it's electrical, most of yeah, it. Yeah, and you have the feeling of the distance you traveled, right? Like if you are nine hours in a train from Bern to Berlin, for example, um, you know how far it was. But if you're just one and a half, one and a half hour in the, in, in the plane, you, you don't realize how big the journey was. I don't know. Either way, you save money because you don't have to book a hotel. And that yeah. was always the, the thinking for all the young people traveling in Europe, I suppose. So yeah, pretty pretty simple piece of news. Um, and it's interesting to see how those train developments could as well happen. So as Asian market is going very very fast, I wouldn't be surprised if they become with the concept like if you have capsule hotels that you have like those kind of the capsule night trains where you can fit a bunch of people at a reasonable pricing and to increase the capacity of the cabin. So that would be completely another level i would say that's I so mean, cool uh, capsule trains yeah or something like that there are trains right which have three rows of beds right after the other mm. uh and maybe that's perhaps a bit extreme so there's definitely no privacy there <laughs> whatsoever but there's also i think there is some a friend of common friend of ours says 
been to Thailand recently and he sent us pictures of uh, basically trains where you have a quasi uh, uh, capsule where you can close the, the your, your little section of your bed with a curtain. You basically are sleeping uh, in a corridor yet, you know, uh, protected from the outside <laughs> world. <laughs> and yes, there were night trains as well, right? So, all right. Uh, all right. On that note, I think we can thank Rusmir very much for joining us today. Uh, yes, thank you so much. Bringing your very interesting perspective <laughs> into our podcast. <laughs> very, very unusual, I would say. I love <laughs> I don't news. even know. I, won't, I don't even know where you find this because <laughs> I haven't seen any of this news yeah. either. So. Um, and uh, excited about the future. For sure. Uh, definitely a positive week, I would say. So on that yeah. note, thank you very much all for listening. Uh, don't forget to check us out over at leproti.com because that's where you can get everything straight away. You can comment, you can like. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.